Everybody, it's me, it's me, it's Gino V, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, coming to you with episode 47 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Thanks for joining me today for yet another episode of this show in which we sensationalize the everyday, meaning we basically talk about a whole lot of nothing. And I'm not entirely sure why anyone even sticks around for it, but a few of you do. And so let's get down to brass tacks. Let's get down to business. Ah, biz and this. I just bit the side of the inside of my mouth when I was trying to say business in a smooth flow. And I considered hitting stop and going back and re-recording. But you know what? We're real here at the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast. We are authentic. We are street level. We're like we're like the daredevil of the of the Marvel universe. We're the, we're on the Punisher level, the daredevil level. Level to <laughs> see, still can't speak properly. And that's how that's how street level we are. We're we're not up there with Galactus and Sol- Silver Surfer. We're not even we're not even swinging uh, above the skyline with Spider Man. We're down on the streets, as it were. We're here. We're slugging it out in a CD gym somewhere with hopes of a better life if we can just punch our way up to the top, but realistically, it's never going to happen because we're already over the hill and we got a nine and, 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 and 10 record and, and, and that's, that's it. That's the end. But, but, but a fighter's got a dream, you know? Um, but in all seriousness, not that that wasn't deadly serious, um, at a strange crossroads here in the Vegaverse, in the world of Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, I've been going through like a weird, crazy time for months now. I've chronicled some of it on the show. Um, Nothing really that otherworldly other than just an overwhelming nexus of just irritating, stressful things happening all at once and of a manner of stress in which each of these individual incidents all happen to conform to this model in which you're, it's a stressful situation that you have absolutely no control over the outcome of, and you don't even know when you're going to know the outcome. You basically just have to sit there and wait in stress. And so um, to clarify, the events that have been causing this paradigm in the Vegaverse over the last several months were the attempted sale of Sensational Manor, our palatial estate in Santa Rosa, California. That's That was uh, factor number one. What else was going on? Um, factor number two, uh, being in the process of uh, buying a new Sensational Manor, Sensational Manor 2.0 here in Napa, California. And in addition to that, uh, dealing with the fact that uh, we're currently renting a home here in Napa and that the lease is going to be up next month, but we are not going to be able to move into Sensational Manor 2.0 until at least October. So there's going to be this overlap, and we weren't sure what the uh, landlord here was going to think about us going month to month, if there was going to be any shenanigans on his part as far as raising the rent because he knew he had us over a barrel or saying he didn't want to 
not have us sign a lease for another year, et cetera, et cetera. So that was going on. And then the final point of this three-point prong of limbo and stress, waiting in limbo while feeling stressed, was the fact that uh, Ms. S., my wife, um, during uh, the all this, these real estate transactions and such, had realized that she had hit the wall at her current... Um, in her current position with her current organization and wanted to start looking for new jobs. So she applied for two different jobs and we were awaiting the outcome of what was going to happen with. So many plates spinning up in the air, but that's not even a good metaphor because when you're spinning plates up in the air, I guess you actually control the pole that they're spinning on. That's a thing, right? I feel like I have this image in my mind. In fact, I do have this image in my mind of someone spitting plates in the air that are on top of poles or something, but I have no idea what that actually comes from. This sounds kind of circusy. Um, circuses, a topic coming soon to an episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast near you, uh, but not quite yet. We're not there yet. Not on, not on this week's uh, 47th episode. But yeah, these things are all in motion, um, but they're all things where you're just having to wait for someone else's decree as to uh, what will be the outcome. When it comes to the home sale, for instance, will the buyer complete the transaction? I can't force them to do it. I can't know what's in their mind. All I can do is sit and wait to see the outcome. Uh, Same goes for the landlord and what he wants to do, and same goes for... Ms. S and her job hunting uh, attempt. I mean, she can do the best she can possibly do in the interviews, but ultimately it all comes down to the decision of the hirer, of the employer. And again, we sit and we wait. Or I should say we sat and we waited because as of this week, all three of those three-pronged limbo and stress elements tearing asunder the Vegaverse have come to their termination. Well, not entirely because uh, we still are not moving into uh, Sensational Manor 2.0 until October. But the landlord uh, issue is cleared up. Let me start back at the beginning. Sensational Manor in Santa Rosa, California, sold. Happy trails to you. Thanks for the memory. Completely divested of the city of Santa Rosa now. Um here in the uh, Sensational family. We own nothing there. Uh, the only stuff that's still there is my mom um, and Ms. S's parents and, and friends and memories, but we don't have to stress or worry about uh, maintaining a property there that we no longer live in. Gone. Done. Thank you. Sayonara. Um, that's over. Landlord uh, gave us no guff about telling him we were going month to month, and rent has remained the same. So housing, con- uh, housing costs have gone from an all-time high to an all-time low because we're now only paying rent on the home that we live in after months of paying for two residences, one in which we didn't live in. I don't recommend that. It's not, uh, not a good financial plan, but it was, it was something that came out of uh, the necessities of life, uh, dealing with the curveballs life throws us. And then, oh, as far as prong three, Ms. S got hired at one of the two jobs she applied for. So she will be beginning a new job next month. And now all is at peace for the moment in the Vegaverse. Although the weird part is, and some of you out there may have um, 
experienced this when it comes to um, the last year coming to a close, last year and a half or so, the whole pandemic era for those of us uh, privileged enough, fortunate enough to be vaccinated and back to normal life. If you're not taking uh, advantage of that opportunity, if it is in fact an opportunity available to you, I don't know what is uh, wrong with you. But uh, in any case, uh, you may be familiar with this this phenomenon in which you go through this uh, intensely stressful time period and then that time period is over but it takes a while for the body to sync up with reality. You know, like I, I, I realize psychologically the stress is gone, but physically I still feel kind of tensed up, stressed up, uh, hard to focus on things kind of out of it. Um, but hopefully we will um, reach a melding of body and mind sooner than later. On episode 47 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Folks, apologies if there was a, a few moments of scratchiness or some weird stuff. Um, on that last segment, I had some technical difficulties and I think I successfully Frankensteined everything together and salvaged having to redo uh, the entire episode, but um, might have sounded weird for a few seconds. I'm sure the uh, four to five folks listening um, can find <clears throat> understanding and forgiveness in their hearts. And moving on with the show, I would like to take a moment to uh, once again shout out the new flagship show of the IC Robots Radio Network. At any given time, whatever show is being hosted and produced by our esteemed founder, IC Robots himself. Um, that is the pinnacle of the network, the flagship show, the, the main event. And the current form of said main event is IC Robots' most recent endeavor, the world's famous IC Robots show. I think we're about... Are we four episodes deep now? I could have that wrong. I don't have it up in front of me. I totally apologize. Listen to every episode so far. Listen to the most recent episode. If you have not, you need to do yourself a favor. Get onto your preferred podcasting platform of choice. Look up IC Robots Radio. Subscribe to the feed. You will receive every single piece of content that comes down the pike, including this show, including the world's famous IC Robots show, and on the most recent episode of the IC Robots, world-famous IC Robots show, um, he, one of the, the things he's been doing on, on, on the show recently, which I have enjoyed personally, is unpacking packages of obscure trading cards on the air. So in the past, he's done uh, talk about an unpacking of baseball cards, more, more commonly trafficked cards such as those. But lately, he's been focusing on just kind of the weird different cards that have come out over the years. Um, I, I've had some myself in my collection um, over time. I remember at one point I had, um, I think it was like a series of RoboCop 3 like the, the movie RoboCop 3, which I don't even think I've ever heard. Was it three or seen? Not heard. But uh, was it three or two? I don't Some RoboCop sequel. I don't think I've seen any of the RoboCop sequels. Um, the original RoboCop being a pinnacle, holding a pinnacle spot 
in the imaginal landscape of Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, but for some reason I never ventured into the sequels. But I had a, a trading card set from one of the sequel movies, which seems like a random thing to make trading cards of replete with bubblegum and all that. But these are the kind of things that Icy Robots has been tackling, and he most recently tackled a package of trading cards uh, based on the 1980s boy band Menudo. Now, ISR's segment on Menudo hit me from two different angles. One is that I strangely remember the phenomenon of the Menudo boy band, and we will speak about that shortly. But it also caused me to recall just how fond I am of the dish Menudo. But it is a dish that I have neglected for some time. So we're going to talk about Menudo, and we are going to talk about soups in general. Now, first on to the group Menudo, the boy band. My memories are a bit hazy, but I seem to remember being a child, and it looks um, from a quick glance at the Google machine that I was probably about seven years old, because this was happening in 1983. But I remember some whispers in the air that Menudo was coming. Menudo was here. Menudo was about to appear. And um, I'm realizing in retrospect what it was, is it appears that Menudo uh, had a deal with the ABC network, the American Broadcasting Company, in 1983, in which um, they uh, there were these four-minute spots on ABC's Saturday morning cartoon programming where Menudo would uh, perform little video, music video clips. And I believe what had happened is that at, in 1983, when I was seven years old, I would have been intensely enamored with the industry of Saturday morning cartoons. I believe there's an old episode in the archives um, in which I spoke about Saturday morning cartoons and my watching of them as a youth um, from the original iteration of the podcast before our, our comeback within the last year or so. Um, but in 83, I definitely would have been just full-blown anticipating and excited about the upcoming Saturday morning cartoon season, and I would have been watching all of the little promotional shows that they put out, like, I can't remember if it was the night before, the Friday night before the new season started or whatever, but I just remember always getting hopped up watching each network's uh, little promo show about what new cartoons were coming down the pike and, like, not being able to sleep and then just being worked up into a frenzy and watching them all. So I probably was seeing Menudo promotional stuff leading up to their uh, Menudo on ABC spots in 83. And then it also looks like, and I vaguely remember this, they had some tie-in with the Rubik's uh, Cube. There were, you know... There's a Rubik's Cube cartoon in which Rubik was some alien creature. Um, and I vividly remember watching that. And it looks like Menudo sang the theme song for that show. And it was all, again, part of that 83 um, cartoon uh, season. But in my memories, Menudo was like how people describe um, like the British invasion, the Beatles. Because I just remember being so excited not really for them in particular, but just this, I had this huge feeling of anticipation just for Saturday morning cartoons in general. But then I watched that debut Menudo on ABC segment, and I seem to recall they're just like running into like a, a big packed stadium, and it's just like, Menudo on ABC! Menudo on ABC! And everyone's just losing their mind and going wild, and I just thought, this is it. This is Menudo. This is like, you know, it's here. It's now. Life will never be the same again. And I just remember my uh, dad laughing hysterically um, while I was watching this. 
And um, it turns out he found it quite amusing because he was an aficionado of the food menudo at a time where it wasn't super um, common for a waspy Anglo guy like him to claim menudo. And so he just thought it was funny that everyone was freaking out about a, a boy band named after this dish. Um, someone recently asked, I, I believe it was Engineer Nerd, friend of the network, Engineer Nerd. I think he's at Engineer Nerd on Twitter. I, I don't know his exact Twitter handle. I just know that I follow him and I think of him as Engineer Nerd. Um, but I believe he recently asked me on the Twitter machine uh, if exposure to uh, food television programming helped shape my interest in food and my acceptance of a variety of cuisines. And um, my response was that definitely did play a part, but I was already predisposed toward food acceptance and food exoticism by way in part because of having um, Chinese American side of the family that introduced me to Asian food, but then also having a dad who um, liked part of his gimmick. He, he was raised by very conservative uh, food people um, kind of Midwestern uh, wasps, as we call them, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, Midwestern people that that thought like probably like black pepper was too spicy. Um, so my dad at an early age got exposed to some different kinds of foods. Uh, I remember uh, he would tell me the story that he had a friend who was uh, one of them Italians, an Italian, which was considered very uh, exotic, uh, by his parents, but the, his Italian friend's mother would make them pizzas. And, and my dad's parents thought this was just like, who's ever heard of such a uh, wild and crazy bohemian thing. But uh, my dad liked them. And so at an early age, he started to enjoy these kind of foods that were outside of the sphere of his immediate nuclear family. But then he also liked to troll his parents um, with his interest in these foods. So his, his, uh, he was constantly one-upping himself about what he was interested in eating. Uh, spent some time in the Air Force in Thailand and lived off base, so ate Thai food before it was a known thing here uh, among Anglo folks in the States. Uh, liked to eat whatever kind of non-burrito Mexican food he could get his hand on. Oh, and then when he um, uh, was uh, courting my mother and married to my mother, my mother's father would try to show him up at family meals at Chinese restaurants and order all kinds of weird stuff and would try to order stuff that he thought my dad wouldn't eat, but then my dad would eat it. So anyway, my dad liked menudo. My dad also started my um, kind of intro. Oh, it's cool to eat weird stuff. Not even necessarily weird, but it's just cool to expand your palate, which is funny because on one hand, I was a very picky eater as a child. I didn't like or would refuse to eat things that most people find totally normal. Normal, But then I would love random stuff like fried calamari or um, I remember the first food that I ever ate that I just thought was the most amazing. And it wasn't the first food I ever ate, but the first food where I just vividly remember thinking this is like the most amazing thing I've ever had in my life was our Italian neighbor down the street, Joanne Gilardi. God rest her soul. Long Must be long departed by now because she was elderly woman in 1976. Um, but she, uh, fed me a plate of, uh, pasta with clam sauce. And so I would eat stuff like pasta and clam sauce. I would eat fried calamari, like the tentacles and everything. Um, but I wouldn't want to eat, I don't know, like a ham sandwich, something basic like that. I probably still wouldn't want to eat a ham sandwich to be perfectly honest. But anyway, um, Back to Menudo the Boy Band, um, I kind of dipped into YouTube and took a look back at them. And much as um, ISR was describing on his show, it's very odd that they were a phenomenon because there's some 
funky looking bros and it's just kind of a dopey uh deal and i i don't really get what the hubbub was all about but i kind of feel that way about most boy bands um i feel like that's been a strange phenomenon with age too is that um you know when i was young and the boy bands that were popular well not as young as seven watching menudo but when i was like in junior high and like new kids on the block were, were, were taking the world by storm um I just remember thinking that was like the dumbest thing known to man, being super anti-new kids. Probably went through a phase where I, I would claim new kids ironically later on. But, I, but you know, just to me, boy bands were, what's the word? Anathema, anathema. Um, you know, something that you're just, you uh, categorically are not supposed to like. Same thing as I was a young adult with like sync and all that nonsense. But the strangest phenomenon to me is people I grew up with, peers of mine, People that were all into like 90s alternative music and punk rock music and stuff grew up to be adults that like claim Justin Bieber. Very strange, very odd. But again, to each their own, your mileage may vary. Um, Menudo the Food, though. Uh, I am realizing there was a time in my life when I consumed Menudo on at least a weekly basis. ISR described the food a bit on his show, and I, I, if I remember correctly, I don't think he is into it. But menudo is a soup that has uh, hominy in it. Let me look up the... I'm horrible with this kind of stuff. For, for, for as much as I eat all these weird things or various things, like if you ask me to explain what they are, what's in them, I'm really bad at that. Um... So menudo, it's a traditional Mexican soup made with cow's stomach, tripe, and broth with a red chili pepper base. It's got hominy, which is basically like dried corn kernels. Uh, lime, onions, and oregano are used to season it. One of the, the world's greatest foodstuffs. It will bring you back to life, literally. It's uh, often cited as a hangover food, but you don't even have to be hungover. It's, it's just, I would get it on the weekends, hungover or not particularly when um, Miss Sensational uh, One was a baby and we lived in Oakland. There was a, a Mexican restaurant that had menudo and we would take her there because it was super loud inside. So it didn't matter if she was screaming and crying her head off. We didn't feel weird taking her out and bothering people because you couldn't hear it anyway. Um, but I would get menudo there. And it was just like, I was like tired, new to having a child. You know, my life was turned upside down, no sleep, et cetera, et cetera. And I would eat that menudo and it was just like sustenance from the gods. I would feel my life coming back to me by way of a cow's stomach. Um, some of you may be put off by the idea of offal, of, of something like tripe, cow's stomach. I don't understand that. I mean, I guess I would understand it if you were a vegan. But I don't understand how, like, eating an animal's leg is any grosser than eating an animal's guts. It's all, it's all part of the same uh, consumption of the animal body, I guess. I don't know. It's just not something that's ever bothered me. And, and some of these things taste quite good, I believe. Um, apologies to vegan or vegetarian listeners. I have no problem with that. I understand that. It's just not. I'm from a people that believes in the, in the uh, consumption of animals. Um, I guess that's theoretically gotten us in a little trouble <laughs> the last few years if you believe some origin stories of viruses. I don't know. I don't, I don't know the truth of any of that, but uh, uh, I, I come from a people that, that are not squeamish about, about that, that there's a, a cycle of life and, and, and the human being is in one part of it and the animal is in another and, and we respectfully consume you, animal.
and move on with our human life. But I understand that some people don't agree with that. To each their own, I suppose. Maybe the animal would, would, would beg to differ, but I don't know that they can really reason in that way. Can they? I don't know. That, that seems to be the crux of the argument. In any case, um, thinking about menudo has caused me to sadly realize that I don't really eat it anymore just because I don't have a regular spot that I get it from. It's kind of a finicky dish. Many places only make it, what is it? They only make it on the weekends. Um, and some places go in and out or sometimes they have it, sometimes they don't. I don't really know the ins and outs of what, what, if that's just a traditional thing or has to do with like accessibility to the, to the ingredients or what, but I have not, um, found my spot for menudo yet here in Napa, California. Um, and I did have a place, a spot for it, um, in Santa Rosa, but I just didn't get to it as regularly as I did in those, in those halcyon days in Oakland with little baby Miss Sensational One. So Menudo, I'm coming for you. I gotta find you again. We gotta, we gotta get this going once more. But thinking about Menudo caused me to think about soups in general. Soups in general. Soups are probably one of my favorite foodstuffs. As I sit here and ruminate on soups on this 47th installment of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast from the IC Robots Radio Network, I realized that I'm hard-pressed to think of a soup that I straight up don't like. I don't know that there is a single iteration of soup that I actively dislike. I certainly enjoy some soups and some style of soups more than others. There's definitely a hierarchy in my personal soup pantheon. But I don't know that there's one that I don't like. Now, one thing that I will say about soups is that I feel in some cases, depending on your personal experience, your own personal history, I feel like in some traditions, there are limiting beliefs when it comes to soups. And I don't mean that as a criticism because I realize there's certain styles of food that I myself have limiting beliefs about. I realize I have limiting beliefs when it comes to uh, salads, for instance. I tend to think of salads as this superfluous. Superfluous. I don't know what was wrong with me there. This (laughs) This ancillary part of a meal that I can either take or leave. And it's usually just some a couple pieces of lettuce. And why are we even bothering with this? And it's not that I'm against greens. It's not that I'm against vegetables. It's, 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 it's the idea of a salad. I tend to think of this, this extraneous thing that I don't need that just getting in the way of what I want to actually eat. But a part of that is because I didn't really grow up with a lot of salads. And when I was around salads, it was with people like my dad's parents where it was like, um, some perfunctory pieces of lettuce as part of the boring uh, middle American tasteless boiled meal that they were having. Uh, but I realized, you know, when I really stopped to think about it, when I really pull back, when I really allow myself to experience uh, uh, other people's uh, traditions with salads, there's all kinds of stuff out there that is under the umbrella of salad that really is a meal unto itself. Uh, that I just don't tend, that it doesn't tend to spring to mind immediately to me as a salad. So therefore I'm having limited beliefs about what a salad is, what it can be, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like soup is the same thing. If you're someone that grew up 
and soup is like something you eat when you have a cold or something that's like the, uh, you know, old spaghetti factory, the thing you get three things before you get your actual meal. Um, you can think of soup as a very uh, extraneous part of a meal. That's not necessary. But in my experience, in my worldview, in my food life, soup is often a meal unto itself. And it can be, you know, an extraneous part of the meal, but it can also be a meal unto itself. And when I think about the wide world of soups, I would say for me personally, my sweet spot when it comes to soup traditions, those kind of soups that I most readily think um, of as these meals unto themselves, I'm tending to think of uh, soups coming out of, very broadly, generally speaking, uh, Spanish-speaking food traditions and Asian food traditions. So things like the aforementioned uh, menudo, things like pozole, things like, uh, there's that soup. I used to get this soup at this Salvadoreño restaurant. Uh, it was like something, the, like the seven seas. It was some seafood type soup. I apologize, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, but those styles of soups are all very amazing. And then when it comes to um, Asian soups, you're talking about the different pantheons of uh, noodle soups, where it's like Japanese ramen soup, udon soup, um, Vietnamese pho soups, um, the various iterations of Chinese noodle soups, um, Korean noodle soups. Uh, one thing I will say, um, an interesting thing when I, I, I hearkened earlier to people, if your own experience with soups is something that you eat when you have a cold or to stave off a cold, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I've oftentimes seen as some of these uh, soups from other traditions become more and more part of the mainstream landscape of American food, I oftentimes see people hearkening to like, um, say Vietnamese pho soups, like, um, Oh, it's cold outside. I can finally go get Vietnamese soup today. Now, here's the thing with, with, with soups um, coming from a, a region like Vietnam. Let's just look at the old Google machine here really quickly. Let's get the keyboard handy. Let's type Vietnam climate. Now, Vietnam has a tropical climate, which is dominated by the monsoon season. The temperature in Vietnam typically ranges between 70 degrees Fahrenheit and 95 degrees Fahrenheit throughout the year. 70 degrees Fahrenheit and 95 degrees Fahrenheit throughout the year. Now, do you think anyone in Vietnam is looking at the soup from their region as something that you eat to warm yourself up on a cold winter's day? Now, you could. You could. You certainly could. To quote uh, John Laurinaitis, oh, you could. But um, in actuality, and this is part of those limiting beliefs of soup, soups from these regions are actually eaten because you're in this warm tropical climate and the soup is kind of sweating it all out and reinvigorating you. So the next time you think you have to wait for a cold winter's day, uh, a cold, creaky uh, day in old London town, uh, you got to wait, wait till it's snowing outside and, and everyone's wearing their Charles Dickens outfits to, to eat a bowl of soup. Keep in mind, you can do that. You could, but you don't have to. You could uh, be wearing uh, Hawaiian shirt, shorts, flip-flops, and just uh, slurping some soup with letting the sweat 
pour down and all those toxins release on a nice blistering 100 degree day. Shout out to my friends in the Pacific Northwest right now with their 100 degree plus weather in that supposedly gloomy, rainy quadrant of the country. Um, last thing I will say, both about soups and on this episode, because we're going to close it out here. Um, I want to give a shout out to the best soup I ever ate. My favorite soup of all soups. It's a humble soup. But for me, it will never be beat. And it's not just one particular soup. It's any soup emanating from a humble little hole-in-the-wall restaurant in San Francisco, California called The One Ton House on Noriega Street in San Francisco. My grandfather, my mom's dad, first took me to this restaurant. Oh, it would have had to be like pre-1986. And um, it's been there ever, it was, it was there before, it's been there ever since. Cash-only operation, cheap food, and it's got everything from uh, the one-ton noodle soup, um, which is the name on the marquee, the one-ton house, to roast duck noodle soup, barbecue pork noodle soup, Various tripe noodle soups. You get your innards on if you want to. Uh, we've got um, juk, which is what my people always call it. There's another name for it, but it's because it's kind of... Um, there's another... What do people call it? There's a more trendy name. Oh, kanji. It's like a rice porridge soup. All these various homey, down-to-earth Chinese soups in this dingy hole-in-the-wall restaurant where a server will emerge out of the woodwork with a big frown on their face and... Take your order, silently listen as you give your order, go, and then leave, and then come back two minutes later with your with your amazing soup there. And it's certainly not the most elevated cuisine of all time, but for me, it is that epitome of hominess, that epitome of, of hearth and home. I think it's the combination of the family history of being there with my grandfather, being there with my grandmother, being there with my parents, going there with my kids, and just the absolute perfect essence of it's not fancy food, but it's also like not gross or boring it's it's just it's elevated without being elevated and it's a couple bucks and the price has gone up over the years i think it used to be like a dollar for a bowl of soup or something absurd like that now it's probably some something really steep like six bucks i don't know but um it's always funny because sometimes in the, with the advent of yelp i'll see what people have to say about the old one ton house and reviews are kind of all over the place because you get like foodies that go there and are underwhelmed because it's not some like fantastical gourmet experience you get other people that go in there and are underwhelmed because <laughs> The, the servers aren't friendly. And it's like um, uh, the, the cultural trope of what it means to be a server, what a restaurant exists for, um, you know, varies wildly. Um, there, there are different cultural expectations. And growing up as a Chinese-American person going to Chinese restaurants, and I'm not talking about, you know, the neighborhood Chinese restaurants serving Chinese-American fare. I mean, like restaurants catering primarily to Chinese-American people. It's a business-like transaction. It's everyone, you want to eat, the server, no nonsense, wants to take your order, get your food, boom, done. No no pleasantries, no chit-chat. It's not like hospitality in the sense of, you know, the, the, the kind of more average American take on serving and hospitality is first, you, you want to go in there and lord it over the servers and, and uh, um, go in there looking to find fault, looking to want to find a reason not to tip. Um, 
and just kind of feel smug. And then you want them to come out and you expect them. There's this whole song and dance with, with kind of mainstream American expectations of serving that a, a server's, but they can't just come out and take your order and go and get your food and bring it back. There's gotta be this whole, like they got to come out with like sparklers and a straw hat and just like, Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtime gal. And then you kind of sneer at them and maybe tip 10%. No, I'm just kidding. I know not everyone's that obnoxious, but I, I, I see that sentiment often online. Chinese American restaurant scene. What do you want? All right, here it is. The end. Um, so it's always funny when people get uppity about the service at the one-ton house because you're at the one-ton house, bro. You got to adjust your expectations. <laughs> but the sad thing is, is the one-ton house has been closed for the entirety of the, the COVID pandemic, and I don't know that they've reopened yet. It's been hard to find information. I honestly believe that the family that runs that place owns that whole kind of block in Noriega because I know several of the buildings on there. There's like a bakery. Then there's one other noodle house, and it's all owned by the same family. And I have a feeling that they probably own that property, so they were able to just shut it down. And we'll open up uh, once they feel like it. And the same thing happened here in um, Napa. There's this dive uh, beer bar, pool hall, dark place called Bilko's. And Bilko's is the kind of place that you would expect um, would have been trying to be open through the whole pandemic regardless and be anti-masks and stuff. But they shut down early on and they stayed closed the entire time. And they're just now reopened. And it turned out it's because the owner owns the building. And he's like, eh, it's not worth it. I'll, I'll reopen when this is over. So anyway... Hopefully the one-ton house will be back in my life uh, at some point. Uh, in the meantime, I need to get Menudo back in there as well. In the further meantime, I implore you, if you are someone that finds yourself having limited, limiting beliefs about soup, just roll the dice. One life, roll the dice. Uh, YOLO. You only live once. You only eat soup once. Well, you eat soup many times, but only one lifetime of soup eating. So Go out there, go out there and try something. Go to go try some pho on a, on a blistering hot day. Go try some uh, uh, a soup as a main course. You, you might be surprised. And in the meantime, it's me, it's me, it's Gino V. I'll be back next time, next week, with another installment of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega po podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Until then, it is me, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega. Wanted to tell you, hello, my baby, hello, my honey, hello, my ragtime gal. Sign in! Off. Todo el mundo muy contento mueve el cuerpo mueve.